0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
1: Welcome to the Inclusive Collective. I am your co-host Nadia Butt and I am joined with my other co-host Rob Hadley. Hey Rob, how are you this week?
0: Nadia, I'm doing great. So good to be here.
1: Good to see you, uh, or be with you, I should say, since, you know, this
0: is a podcast
1: (laughs) and I can't see you. Um, I had a question for you, though.
0: Oh, lovely. What what do we Uh, got?
1: Does your family do Taco Tuesday? (laughs) (laughs) You love tacos, so I'm just curious if you do tacos on Tuesday. Uh,
0: I was just an amazing taco place uh, on the way back from, we we were floating the Colorado River, and I stopped in Green River utah right across the colorado border Colorado utah border fantastic place don't remember the name so maybe i'll have right. to put that in the show notes uh it was yeah. like it was, it was it was very difficult uh to remember but just fantastic trucks uh wow. old gas station turned into a restaurant so but to answer your original question uh we do not you know our tuesdays do not revolve around tacos no
1: oh okay well that's cool i'm curious maybe one day i'll hit up that do yours no, do your Tuesdays um, involve around tacos. I used, my, my Tuesdays used to involve tacos, and then I realized that I was eating too many tacos. So, um, <laughs> so no, they don't revolve around Taco Tuesday. But for some reason, I have like a group of friends that think that I still do. So, like occasionally on a Tuesday, I'll get a text that's like "Happy Taco Tuesday," and I'm like, they don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't informed them, but it's sweet.
0: So um, when you when the word when someone says Tuesday for anything, you're like. You just consider it Taco Tuesday? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's not actually Tuesday
0: in your calendar. No, it's not actually
1: Tuesday. It's Taco Tuesday. (laughs) Anyways, so we are at the final wrap of our Accelerator slash Incubator three episode series um, within our season one related to Accelerator programs. And I'm really excited because um, joining us this week is Rachel Shepard. Rachel is a uh, director of ventures at Mars Pet Care, where she manages the leap accelerator programs and early stage pet care companies. Previously, she worked at the Founder Institute where they provide entrepreneurs and um, teams with a support network and like structured process to get funding. Rachel's background and experience in the startup and accelerator space is invaluable to um, people and entrepreneurs, founders, folks that are looking to, uh, you know, build a product. And we are really excited for her to join us on Inclusive Collective today. Welcome, Rachel. So excited to have you here with us.
2: Hi, Nadia. Hi, Rob. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm very excited to be here and, and truly honored that you um, invited me to be a part of this conversation today.
0: Well, we are excited to have you, Rachel. So uh, welcome. Great to see you again. I I, I think it would be helpful if we started with you helping us out and talk to us about your, about your current program, uh, Leap Venture Studio, which is part of Mars. And I didn't realize that it was focused on founders that are female and or persons of color. I, I think it's such a cool way for Mars to have like a really positive impact. And so can you just talk about where the need for that program are, came from and then why that's such a, a targeted approach was necessary um, to funding entrepreneurs and pet care and what type of impact you all have had?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, as you said, I, I, I'm the director of ventures here at Boris Pet Care, uh, which means I get to run the Leap Venture Studio program uh, alongside our amazing partners. Uh, and what we do is we support seed and uh, series A stage uh, pet care focused startups. Um, and so we do that through um, our core product, which is our seed stage accelerator, that's 12 weeks. We, you know, um, do everything from make strategic introductions to providing one-on-one support to also delivering on projects for each of the companies that are selected through each cohort. We select six per cohort. Um, and uh, those amazing projects are done by RJ Venture Studio. Um, and so it's, it's a real honor to get to, to help run this program. Um, to date, we've had um, five cohorts complete, a total of 33 companies, and we've already had two exits, which is really exciting. Mm, um, nice. Yeah, yeah. And the portfolio has raised um, a- $173 million in follow-on capital as well. So we've had some real success in the portfolio so far, and we've gotten a chance to invest in and work with some really amazing pet care startups and pet care founders. I joined the program uh, and the company about uh, eleven months ago, just shy of eleven months ago. And so, uh, when I joined, all of this was already in place. So I'm really sort of stepping in to continue the, the wonderful work of people who've come before me and people who have been um, setting up some amazing sort resources and structure for pet care focused startups. One of those programs that you mentioned, Rob, and you were you were asking about specifically, is is really our Leap Venture Academy. Right which is our boot okay. camp and fellowship com- uh, programs that are focused on even earlier stage companies that's like pre-seed to seed uh, so mm-hmm. sometimes they don't ha- quite have a product in the market yet maybe not even some revenue but they're an underrepresented founder and they're interested in continuing to grow within the pet care space and they'd love to get connected with uh, pet care thought leaders and you know Mars in general and and also you know, get a chance to to really iterate on their company a little bit. And so we run these sort of shorter term programs that are, you know, somewhere between four and five days uh, and mm. really kind of help founders overcome what are some of their biggest challenges in the early stages. That also gives us a chance to really get to know founders at the earlier stage and, and spend time completely dedicated to underrepresented founders. So those programs are only for underrepresented founders. And we do that so that we have an opportunity to, get to know them, get to know their business, and honestly understand more about their greater vision. Because when you make an mm-hmm. investment in a company, you're, you're investing in sure what they're doing right now, but you're really investing in the person and their greater vision. And so um, there really is no way to do that off of a pitch deck to totally understand someone's big vision and how they wanna change the world and make a better world for pets. And so the best way for us to do that is actually spend some time get to know a little bit more about them and a little bit more about what they're working on. Very cool.
0: So, Rachel, that's great background. Thanks for sharing all of that. Uh, so you've worked with or been around a lot of startups and various accelerators and, uh, and, and all those different ecosystems and obviously from a global perspective as well. So what advice do you give participants on how they make the most of that experience as they're as they're coming into an accelerator?
2: That's a great question. The first thing that I would say to any startup who's you know joining an accelerator program is is to really delve into the network as much as possible. Network is something that still plays a very large role in the success of startups, ultimately, right? So a a lot of startups are able to get fundraising because they know someone who knows someone, you know, like, and so networks are really powerful and important. And so that's number one. I would say number two, be very clear and vocal about what you need and be very collaborative within that network. So you know, I often ask founders, like, what is your biggest challenge? I I genuinely want to know what the answer to that question is so that I can go and try to find something that can help them with that challenge. And so the clearer they are on it, the better I'm able to help them ultimately. And so I would say, you know, just getting very clear on what your challenges are, being very collaborative, you know, that that ultimately leads to more warmer connections. And, you know, it's always great when You've been, you've been, you know, both the recipient of somebody who's helped you as well as you've been able to help them. And that, that just strengthens your, your, your networking and your relationships over time, um, which are super important. And then the third thing I would say is to be somewhat open. Um, When you're building something from scratch, I have deep empathy for the fact that that is, very emotionally tied to what mm. you care about, right? Like your mm-hmm. every, sure. every, 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 you know, every ounce of your time and and efforts has been poured into this this thing that is a company. But people are going to pick it apart, right? And that is going to happen. And some of that's going to be good advice. Some of it's not going to be good advice. But I think being able to pull yourself a little bit away from it, just while you're getting this feedback from investors, from founders from other people in the network and be able to hear the feedback and make changes where you feel like, yes, that's aligned for me. I think that's the right way to go. Also being, you know, feel justified in saying that's not for me. But mm-hmm. can find that some founders are so closed, I would say, to any feedback that it becomes very difficult to be able to accelerate them, right? That's mm-hmm. part of the process is iteration.
0: Sure.
1: So what are some of the challenges that these founders experience? Like, I'm curious if there's, um, you know, have you observed any sort of like bias in the work or is it challenges related to getting capital, um, getting their product marketed? What What are some of the types of things that you're observing?
2: Yeah, so I'll answer that in, in two parts. So I think that the challenges I see a lot of people face, um, a lot of founders are product market fit, and fundraising. So product market fit is sort of inherently challenging, right? Because you've done all this customer development and you're like, people have told me that they want this solution. And then when you ask yeah. them to pay for it, they're like, maybe not, you know, and it's like this, you know, yeah. or, you know, something of, so there's some friction in the model, right? Like there's something's not working. It's not flowing just yet. And that is super difficult because it's hard to pinpoint exactly what's wrong. You know, it's hard to, to understand exactly why people aren't picking this up at the pace that you thought they would, you know? And um, when you go back deep enough into these really big success stories of startups, you find that they struggled with this too, at always, mm-hmm. right? And there was some major pivot that kind of caused product market fit to happen. And then you started to see the market pull demand from the company as opposed to the company mm-hmm. just desperately trying to get out there in front of people. And so mm-hmm. um, these pivot points are, very elusive and sort of, you know, hard to, to, to really, I can't say, you know, you know, do this and then it'll work, right? Like, you know, that's mm-hmm. not, that's unfortunately not how it works. And so that's something I've seen all founders sort of come into, you know, terms with at some point, right? It's just this product mm-hmm. market fit challenge. And also fundraising. Fundraising is hard, period. Uh, I think that it's just, it's yeah. a very difficult thing to do. it's It's hard to get people to Believe in what you're building. It's hard to ask for money. Uh, a lot of people don't aren't very comfortable with that inherently as humans, right? And so, like, right. there's so many things about it that make it very difficult. Sometimes you get like a maybe, uh, sometimes from from uh, investors as well. And I think that's even harder than hearing yes or no in some ways, or harder than hearing no because you want to know why, right? And and maybe right. it doesn't really give you directional feedback. And so it's a hard space to navigate, and a lot of founders have challenges with that. This kind of gets into your question about bias, though, Um, Mm -hmm. because fundraising, we know that there's a lot of bias in fundraising. Um, And I was thinking about this quite a bit, and I want to kind of break bias down into three categories. So I think there's bias in action, which at least in that case, people can call you out on that if people see you doing that, Not, not you necessarily, but just anyone, they can call people out on that. Um, mm-hmm. there's bias of opinion, which I think we're at least in a world now where I think more people in I'm speaking specifically to tech are thinking mm-hmm. about how they might be biased, right? Like, there's at least some hopefully con reflections, like the last episode you guys Ooh. did, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully there's con reflections happening around that, but at least if yeah. you're just as a person, because none of us are perfect mm-hmm. and all of us are sort of carrying our own unique experiences with us all the time and to the table. Are we asking ourselves enough questions to be aware of our own biases, right? Um, sure. And so I think that that's something that we're at least starting to see more people ask themselves some questions. Again, lots of work to do. Um, and, mm. and bias in action, tons of work to do there as well. All of these types of biases upset me, but the one that keeps me up at night is bias bias in a system because systems are even more challenging, in my opinion, because there are no, no one person is responsible. So it's not like you can say this person is needs to fix their behavior or their biases. It's kind of subtle biases across lots of, you know, lots of different humans, you know, who also are working within the system. So it's like it's kind of a right. little more complicated. And those types of things keep me up at night because no one person is responsible a and b because it also can scale so like mm. a system can mm-hmm. scale and affect a lot of people and sure. if we aren't fixing those systems quickly enough those types of things can 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 do real damage and 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 really cause a lot of issues in tech in general and so to kind of loop all of this back to how, what are mm. some challenges i've seen founders face and how does how does systematic bias play into that role Systematic bias. Um, a great example of how this is playing out in our world today is angel investment. So, angel investment is an opportunity for wealthy people to write checks to startup founders to ultimately, you know, create unicorns, right? And and get them started with their early um, startup capital. Mm-hmm. And I think a huge part of investment, particularly at the early stage, and I would say this even accounts for pre-seed and seed investments is you're, you're investing in the founder. A lot of, as we said, a lot of what we're gonna see is gonna pivot and change and, you know, ultimately continue to work towards product market fit and adapt to the markets as it scales. But what's really challenging is that when people are, when enough people are not investing in angel investment to create enough different experiences of life, to be able to resonate with enough solutions we are going to see people struggle to raise money in the pre-seed and seed stage. So an example Uh. of that would be like, you know, not having enough female angel investors may lead to fewer uh, women's health solutions getting off the ground in the early stages because we're not seeing enough investors empathize with the solution and or be able to connect with the founder on the problem that they're solving. And so like those Mm -hmm. types of things are things that I worry about because angel investment. We've started to see some small improvements in the changes of what allows somebody to be accredited. Those standards are still very high um, in Mm -hmm. terms of whether or not somebody can be an accredited angel investor. You're looking at, you know, 200K as an individual uh, income, I think, over the last two years, and then 300K as a couple or a million dollars in assets. There are a lot Mm -hmm. of people who could afford to write $1,000, $2,000 checks that may not be in those categories. And so, and 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 they may meet someone and believe in what they're doing, and they can't help them, and so we're starting to mm-hmm. see now more vehicles around helping non-accredited investors participate in angel investments and things like that. And that's something that I feel very strongly needs to continue to happen in the future, so that we can get more institutional investors who come from diverse backgrounds, et cetera., et cetera, so that more founders get funded and And then, and then the networks the networks have exponential effects from there mm-hmm. And so I think that it's super important for more diversity to be in investment in general. And I think angel investment is just a, an example right now of how um, we can continue to work around uh, what is ultimately a system that is keeping a lot of people out right now um, to put pressure on the system so that it changes, so that ultimately we're able to see more people make angel investments in more companies that um, may represent more people and more solutions that are just currently being overlooked right now.
0: I, I, love that. And I think that I really appreciate how, how thoughtful you are around the different types of biases and systemic bias. And so just want to keep going on that for a little bit more. Uh, so th- there's a lot of biases built in the system, right? So we know that women tend to be less comfortable making grandiose statements in their presentation, right? Like in the, and you talked about that the founders in general don't like to go out and ask for money, but I would assume that the women are probably less comfortable in asking for large amounts of money. You talked about the dependence on the network and the fact that underrepresented founders don't have networks to tap into, they have, or they have less networks oftentimes. So, is the model just itself? Is there are there? Do you look at a lot of other different systemic uh, uh, biases in just the early stage funding process, and uh, and how do you how do you think about mitigating those biases?
2: That's a great question. So, one of the things that I, I think about a lot is um, have I have I discovered biases in like pitching, everything. So every piece of this, yes, is is an opportunity for bias. Pitching in sure. person is an opportunity for bias to play a role. In introductions from there are another c- category where bias can play a role. And if you raise a seed round, let's say, if, for example, you have an early stage startup and you raise a seed round and you, you meet a hundred investors. Those hundred hmm. investors probably came from an, a total of 200 people. So let's say somebody introduced you to somebody and you know, so on and so forth. Let's just say that. Each one of those is an opportunity for bias if the networks are not diverse enough. So the the interesting part about that is if you mm-hmm. are talking to a hundred people to raise a seed round, that is a beautiful opportunity for diverse investment, right? Like that is that's mm-hmm. you could you could talk to investors from every every different spectrum and walk of life at that point, not every, but you know, lots of different spectrums mm-hmm. and walks of life at that point. Or you could end up, you know, if the if the first 10 people you ask all look the same and all of their networks look the same and come from the same backgrounds, or you end up talking to the same person 100 times. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like the system, the the system of networks is sort of inherently biased in and of itself. Um, And I do think that the number one thing has to be people have to put in the work to meet people outside of their industry, outside of their walk of life, outside of their region, outside of, you know, their identity, outside of as many different categories as you can imagine, so that you can learn from each other. And so that you can now have that in your mind, because so much about working in accelerators and and DC in general is top of mind. Like you have sort of a, a list of you know, people, potential people to connect people with at the top of mind. And mm-hmm, it's, it's mm-hmm. the more recently you've spoken with somebody, the easier that will be. And so if you mm-hmm. are constantly sort of intentionally pushing yourself outside of your own networks to meet somebody new, you will have more people top of mind to connect people with. And I think that's a really important way to start to break down biases. I'm aware of the fact that everybody working in this industry is very busy. Uh, and so
0: I, mm. but I think
2: at the end of the day, it could literally take five minutes And every Mm -hmm. day, if you spent five minutes spending some time making a connection for somebody who um, may not have as strong of a network as you do, for whatever reason that brings, you know, that that brings them to that part of their life. They're ready to start a startup and you can open that door for them. You could take five minutes and open that door for them. And I've had people do it for me and it has changed my life. It has brought me to this point where I am today, where I have this amazing job. And I wouldn't be there if people hadn't sort of, unlock doors for me and literally taking like five minutes to just put me top of mind for somebody else or put my name in the ring or introduce me to someone. So those things do matter um, and they can be exponential.
1: And you tend to pay it back or pay it forward, I say, I should say, because you have um, absolutely introduced Rob and I to folks to um, help us navigate the startup and venture capital world through this podcast. So yeah it's it, you, you role model that behavior so that's so great um thank you i try i I, I definitely there's always yeah. more that
2: can be done but I, I I try
1: yeah um so kind of on that note, I'm curious so the, the the systemic bias that you have mentioned um i know I know that the work you do is global it, but it it also started out global, right? so from that international perspective, I'm just curious, like, what are some of the biases that you, are they the same types of biases that you see on an international platform when you're working with startup founders, uh, venture capitalists, and so on and so forth throughout the global context? Are the challenges and biases the same or are they different? And if they're different, how are they different?
2: I love that question. I um, I would say, Yes and and no. And so I say, yes, they're the same. And then I've seen, particularly across the work I've done with female founders around the world, a lot of the same challenges being faced, you know, across countries, right? And so um, I do think female founders are often experiencing some of the same challenges, you know, especially, you know, when they're in those early stages of still trying to prove that their idea is valid and that their company is possible, their bigger vision is possible and that they... That somebody should take a bet on them, so to speak, right, and, and fund them. Right. I see a lot of that. Um, and then I would say there are differences, there are nuances. So I would say, yes, there are challenges where everybody's facing underrepresentation or uh, the underrepresented founders are everywhere around the world. Mm-hmm. That may change and, and be more nuanced depending on where in the world we're talking about. But I think right. that that's... Um, something that I have seen in in most countries to a certain extent. Um,
1: And I would imagine the the dimension of the of diversity that you're speaking to. Right. So like whether it's a a racial a racial diversity aspect or whether it's, um, you know, folks from the LGBTQ or neurodivergence mm -hmm. or disability community. So I would imagine they're all similar and different all at the same time.
2: Yes. And I think the part for me that's super important in helping us all work towards a better future for everyone, right? Like, it's getting back to, you know, there's always more work to be done, right? And there's always more Mm -hmm. reflection to be done. There's always more of our own biases we can put in check and so forth, so on and so forth. I think so much about that is is just listening. It's just going to other countries, sitting down with people who are in the startup ecosystem and saying, what are you, what is your biggest challenge, right? And starting to Mm -hmm. ask these questions that unfold a lot of different nuance of what they're facing as founders of course, even if we can't travel to the place, just in connecting with people outside of your own network, outside of your geography and saying, you know, what are, what do things look like for you? I think that was one of the most powerful things about being able to work with people in over 90 countries is Silicon Valley is a bubble. Uh, I live here, right? Like there's a, it's, it, it's changed a bit since, you know, COVID and the pandemic, but, you know, I think it's one of those things where understanding about the nuance of startup ecosystems all over the world and how culture plays into how startup ecosystems are built or how governments play into how startup ecosystems are built, Uh, you know, infrastructure, uh, proximity Mm. to capital, access to capital, all these things play these roles into how much opportunity a startup in any given region has. And so I think that getting a chance to learn from people firsthand and just listen to what they had to say was incredibly powerful. it has, has continued to be very helpful and I'm still learning. You know, I just, I, last week alone, I went and I learned about a whole new pet care ecosystem, right? Like there's, there's these opportunities to do that. And I think learning is a huge piece of what is going to help us all sort of create a a better world for everybody and and ultimately create more opportunities for, for startups in the future. Sure.
0: Rachel, I want to stay on your perspective on female founders, given all the work that you've done over the years, right? So, I was thinking about my own parental role and how much how difficult it is just to get shit done on a day day to day basis, right? So to be a good, attentive, loving parent and run a business. and And I'm aware that most often women <laughs> that that those duties fall to women. they they tend to bear more responsibilities at home. So just talk about how that impacts the ability of a woman to start a company, and what advice that you give to mothers uh, that they're p- potentially starting uh, new ventures.
2: That's, um, that's a great question. I, um, to be totally honest, I'm not a mom, so I'm not giving any advice to mothers out there. They're doing an amazing <laughs> job. They're super brave and, and strong and awesome. And yeah. when they're also starting companies, I, I applaud them for, for so many reasons. But I would say kind of on this topic of caregivers and how do they mm-hmm. create time and opportunity to start companies as well and how, to, how does that not end up working against them? I've actually seen and 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 identified that I find that people who have less time actually hyper focus much faster, uh, and so I I find that it can actually be a really great advantage, right? Like, so if you don't have a lot of time, you have, you know, you're like, I'd love to work 100 <laughs> hours, but I have 40. So here's what I can yeah. do with my 40 hours. I, you know, you're probably more likely to tell me exactly what challenges you have facing, exactly what you need, and that's how I can help you grow your company faster. And so. I do think there's some some really um, inherent benefits to being somebody who has to balance, you know, multiple sides of life. I think the challenges come with some things that are inherent to startups in general. We've seen some of that go on pause for the pandemic, and I'm wondering how we'll end up on the other side of that. So, for example, a lot of happy hours. We host happy mm-hmm. hours. A lot of people host mm-hmm. happy hours. Happy hours are not necessarily inclusive. Um, Not only to um, people who have caregiving responsibilities after work, but also to um, people who don't drink or people who would prefer not to be in bars at night. Uh, Women, for example, you know what I mean. Like there's there's all types of reasons Mm -hmm. why happy hours are not as inclusive. And so you know, I'll we'll intentionally take coffee meetings where places with people as well, and try to make things not as centralized around what a traditional startup ecosystem looks like. Right, so. That's mm-hmm. one example. The other is travel, which I think we're, we have yet to determine how much that will be a part of actually fundraising in the future. Because um, I do mm. think there's some real benefits to being able to spend time with somebody and, and, you know, learn about them and their company and their business and their team. But I do think that if you have caregiving responsibilities, it's a lot harder to travel. And so, yeah. um, I'm, I'm, again, I'm assuming uh it's a lot harder to travel and so it is yeah Yeah, yeah. it is and and, you know that shouldn't make it harder for for somebody to fundraise so i think the pandemic has brought us a lot of solutions that said hey we can do this no matter what you know meaning we can fundraise and you can pitch to us no matter what and it can be virtual or in person it doesn't really matter but i do think that we're we have yet to totally figure out if that's what people really want and by by that i mean is that what investors really want is to to have mm-hmm. be pitched mm-hmm. truly long term so i think that's kind of up in the air or you mm-hmm. know will investors be encouraged to travel more to founders which is also an option too it doesn't have to always be the other way around so that's something we'll we'll have to start you know figuring out but along those lines i think that there is nothing that should stop somebody from being able to start their company if they want to start their company and they have a good company none of the other rest of the stuff should matter right like you know it should it should just be like i think this mm. person can do this and mm-hmm. um whether or not they're a caregiver should not play a role in whether or not somebody can do something i think if you are a caregiver you're probably more likely to get it done but that's just my own opinion sort of playing in as well and maybe my own bias but that is how i that is how i see things
1: that's great that's awesome yeah well, Rachel, um, thank you so much. We're, we're so excited that you joined us today. Um, where can people find you if they uh, want to reach out to you?
2: That's a great question. Uh, they can find me at leadventurestudio.com. Uh, that's probably the best place to, to look for more information. That is the best place to look for for more information about our, um, pet care focused accelerator. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on there. Uh, and I often, that's, it's the only social platform I like to, participated actively. So I'm on there and you can find me on there and message me and, you know, um, know, connect with me. If you have a question, I'm always happy to answer. um, And always happy to take a call.
1: Well, Rachel Shepard, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you for joining today on inclusive
2: collective. Thank you, Nadia. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much. Have a great day.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much. Welcome back from our conversation with Rachel Shepard. Time for calm reflections. And so Nadia, what I really enjoyed, so I I love talking to Rachel, I thought she was really thoughtful, obviously just very insightful about accelerators uh, and and gave a lot of great advice for founders. I really appreciated that it seems like they've done the work there in terms of really trying to think about bias in their own processes and in the procedures and just their entire model. And obviously, certainly with the programs that they have there but also just really thinking about the impact of the decisions in terms of how they're going to allocate funds and 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 who they're going to bring into that program and so i just thought that everything's very purposeful uh and 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 they're very mindful of, of their own biases and i think that it was really great to hear
1: yeah totally you know rachel's advice was like spot on she said like networking's important we've been hearing that throughout from various people right um being very clear about what you think or what you're what you stand for from a product perspective. And then this kind of final piece of um, being receptive to feedback, I thought mm. really cool elements. But what I really, really loved, which she kind of threw down was this breakdown in the three biases that mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. observed in the fundraising world specifically, right. So she said the first one was bias in action. The second was bias of opinion. And then the third, which she said she like, which, you know, where she said she loses sleep on was this bias in a system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she mentions that no one person is responsible for the bias in the system, right? It's a subtle bias across many people uh, that, that are working within a system. Mm-hmm. And so that can scale and affect people in in damaging ways. So I want to talk about bias. Okay. And particularly because of the bias that shows up in the business world most of it is is it's not ill-intentioned right Mm -hmm. like most people aren't walking around being like i want to be an asshole today (laughs) right Mm -hmm. like i mean some people might be but i think for the most part people want to treat people kindly and fairly right so what do i mean by biases what are biases there are these seminal scholars that talk about Um, these seminal scholars named Banji and Greenwalk who researched this work and they argue that much of our social behaviors are driven by learned stereotypes Mm -hmm. that operate automatically and and therefore unconsciously so what we're talking about today is this type of blind spot right these terms are being used unconscious or implicit bias right so now according to psychology today the average human has seven actually should you should take a guess how many <laughs> 7 how many how many thoughts per day does the average human have?
0: The average how many thoughts per day uh uh 7000
1: 17,000 oh. to 50,000 thoughts per day. According to Psychology Today, there's this variances amongst this um but I was trying to take it from like empirical research. Sure. So some of these thoughts are social stereotypes, right? About certain groups of people that we've it's essentially formed throughout our life based on like who we interact with, how we view the world, kind of how we grew up. And because of how much information and thoughts are thrown at us on a daily basis, our brains tend to categorize kind of these, these points of data or mm-hmm. these, this information and we, comp- we compartmentalize them, right? And, and then but what happens then is we generalize and we make assumptions based off of that and stereotypes off of that. And um, to really help us make more sense or sort through all of that information and data. So that's what how our brains are working. This leads to the kind of misrepresentations or assumptions about people that we have because we've categorized them into these groups. So one thing that's really important is that to know that we all have biases, right? Most times they're hidden, right? And bias typically shows up in your Mm decision-making and in your interactions. And they happen, they're even more apparent in high stress situations or navigating in times of crisis. Bias doesn't have to be a negative word though. And that's one thing that I think is really important to kind of just, as we peel back that onion, in a TechCrunch article that was written in 2015 that I think is still relevant today, it's and it was an article called Surprising Bias of Venture Capital Decision Making. They talk about how on the surface it appears that investors have something have everything under control. Right. Like mm-hmm. they're exerting confidence in their decisions as they hit like, you know, consistent home runs kind of in um, in the world of funding and getting investments. But as we peel back those layers, empirical research shows that they're extremely challenging and costly cognitive biases that show up. Mm-hmm. and. You and I do a lot of work around process thinking to mitigate bias. And so so, you know, like we could spend all day talking about this and how it shows up and et cetera, et cetera. But some biases that show up in the invest investors pitch kind of process or the demo day. And I think I'm speaking specifically um, of an investor bias and how to uncover some of that. One is through affinity bias. Right. So where we make decisions based on how we connect with someone on like a more personal inner or um interpersonal level. Sure. So maybe we went to the same college as the founder or or grew up in some city, the same city as the founder. So as the investor, your your likability subtly starts to favor the founder because of these things. Another bias that's mentioned in the TechCrunch article is information overload bias. Hmm. And that isn't that interesting. So This is where investors typically have to process large amounts of data, for example, when they're analyzing technologies or teams or markets or trends, maybe business models and um, different types of risks in the investor pitch or demo day. The massive amount of information provided to investors can result in information overload. And the reality is that more information does not necessarily equate to better decision right? Hmm. So bias could absolutely show up there and, and not in a favorable way. So now your question is like, well, what do we do about it? Right. right? right. I mean, I know you know what to do, but how, what can we share to our listeners? The first thing is maybe take the implicit association test that's available through Harvard. That kind of helps you measure like your attitudes or your beliefs um, that people may have uh, unwillingly or unable to report on like their likability or perspective- perceptions on a group of people. Um, I would say, and many of our guests have said this, like, learn from people outside of your own identities. But the first step in doing that is recognizing your own identities first, right? So it's understanding, you know, who you are in your own privilege. The third is listen and reflect. I, a deep reflection is so critical. Mm-hmm. And then finally, it's it's calling Rob and I for coaching, training, and consulting.
0: <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Just a little plug there. Yeah, you full, yeah. Lots of plugs, yeah, from from Nadia. Yeah, <laughs> so, so
1: a lot that I said. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I I really like that. I'm really glad you took us through all of that, and I think that I, I really like the the part where you know just the starting point is that bias is not necessarily a bad thing, right? So get comfortable with your bias, right? So, uh, like that's that is such an important step in actually making change and being able to create an inclusive cultures is. is getting people on the same page about understanding what biases they have so that you can interrupt it in some way right either either uh at a personal level or at a systemic level right and so right. um you know so i think that's uh, I'm, I'm glad you focused on that it's 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 not a bad thing it's really important in, in order to be able to make change in an organization absolutely well thanks for that nadia uh that's going to be it for this week's episode so the inclusive collective podcast is is a production of Refillion Media. If you like what you hear, please be sure to like, rate, subscribe, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback at www.refillion.com, and you can find us on Instagram at Inclusive Collective Podcast. I'm your co-host, Rob Hadley.
1: And I'm Nadia Butt.
0: See you next week.